Hello darlings, yes I'm back again already, inspired once again, well this time I'm inspired from the start by Mark from India, who I referred to last episode, I was going to say last week, last episode, by his anchor handle which is Red Chili. If you want to say something to Red Chili, you could join Anchor and search for his username and it's all one word, R-E-D Chili, and you could say, hey, connect with him if you want to. So coming up next, some more questions and I have some answers. Hey Louise, this is Mark, uh, aka Red Chili from India. Thank you so, so much for playing a song on your ukulele for me. Uh, apparently, I can only record for one minute, so I'm trying to um, get something going. Thank you so much and a huge hug. And yeah, so regarding the feminists, thank you for answering that question. Right now, India is going through a lot and there's a lot of things going on. So a lot of people are kind of confused about different terminologies about, you know, who's binary, non-binary, trans, uh, who's homophobic and all of that stuff. So in that context, how do you feel a person should go about communicating with a partner uh, about who they are and what they are about? And it's not like the good old days where you would just communicate and talk. So I wanted to know your thoughts on that. Thank you so much. Bye. Hey, I just realized I could probably send you two voice messages. So that's what I'm doing. So what I mean by India's going through a lot is that um, um, it's culturally very sensitive. Although I was personally raised as um, a Catholic and I'm agnostic right now. But for other people, you know, the sexual freedom has brought a lot of questions with it. And a lot of people are struggling into uh, in dealing with how they feel. Although I'm generalizing, um, because it's obviously not everyone feels the same way. So in that respect, you know, how would you go about exploring yourself and talking to your partners about what you're trying and what you think you might like and what they might like. How would you bring it up? How would you go about it? I guess that's my question. Thanks. Bye. Hey, Mark. So in terms of what to say, when to say it with people that you want to share, things like this, oh my goodness, it's, it's something that as... Um, because I'm on the, I guess, on the autism spectrum, I identify as being either neurodiverse or I like to use the shortcut, which is Aspie, because I think it's a particular group of people who were kind of like, I guess, high functioning, I hate that term, autistic. So like reading a room is, is like the, is kryptonite. Like what kryptonite is to Superman is what reading a room is for people who are Aspie, I claim. <laughs> it's like what it's like with the social difficulties. So knowing when and how to express stuff and have difficult conversations, that that's a very nuanced thing. It's a very individual thing over time. 
But what your uh, it's funny because when I listened to your messages again, it was completely different to what I'd had in my head and I'd written a response based on what I thought you'd asked. <laughs> so I will just talk about uh, my thoughts on how to be a good ally. You mentioned the you know new, I guess one of the hottest topics is like... Um, um, trans activism and trans culture. So that's um, that's a pretty hot topic. So that's what I've decided to focus on. Uh, I've got some clips that I'm going to play after this, but what I've written is okay. And this is I'm just this is this is about this is not necessarily about trans per se. This is about all allyship you know um this applies uh you know to you mark you know how i um am as an ally to you know however you might identify you might you know i imagine there's probably <laughs> you know in in this white society you've probably got stuff to say feels that you feel about not being white I'm guessing uh so you know I would do my best to listen to you rather than speak on your behalf so like you would be like an intersection that I consider that I would hopefully be a good ally for though I you know I'm a baby ally when it comes to culture to even starting to figure out my own white culture so in my explorations around this stuff, uh, this is what I reckon. The role of a good ally is to boost the signal for the voices of people speaking on their own behalf. Whether those voices are individuals or thought leaders. First, by communicating the context and then the message. Stay as true as possible to the original message and check your sources first, wherever possible. You don't have to know what is correct if you are able to search with efficacy for the answer. And efficacy means doing something well, doing something um and self-efficacy is different from self-esteem. Self-esteem, you just feel good about yourself. Self-efficacy, you feel good. Well, you may or may not feel good. I don't know, but you you are good. Like you're doing it well. You're, you're, um, yeah, you're functioning with efficacy. And that's a good thing. So I'm going to play some clips from a documentary that's currently on Netflix called Paris is Burning and it was made in the 80s and I just realized I don't I'm talking about checking my sources and I don't actually have <laughs> quickly re reaching for the iPad Paris is Burning uh, and it's just some opinion it's a 1990 American documentary film directed by Jenny Livingston filmed in the mid to late 1980s. Yeah, I thought it was 
yeah, it chronicles the ball culture of New York City um, in the Afro-American, Latino, gay, and trans. Yeah, it goes on, but then it cuts, like it cuts off. Um, yeah, anyway. So uh, it's um, at the end of the golden age of New York City drag balls and a thoughtful exploration of race, class, gender, and sexuality in America. So, yeah, uh, I really enjoyed watching it and so I'm happy to present some clips from the end of the movie and that's my way of saying, okay, <laughs> I don't know what I don't know when it comes to trans culture. I did date a trans woman for a while named Sophie. There's episodes about that in my archives. Oh, when was I dating her? I don't know. It's been over a year, I think. So anyway, I love you guys. Here's some other people. Oh, and at the very end, I'm going to play something by Wes Cecil, who I'm, I'm a fan of, but and it's bad because at the time, what he said seemed to kind of make sense to me, but then I realized in hindsight he's kind of a douchebag in actuality, and I don't align myself with his opinion, but I think it seems kind of with everything being such a whirlwind right now, it is one rhetoric that seems to be coming up. So, um, yeah, I guess it's similar to some of the stuff that Jermaine Greer is in trouble for. Um, yeah. Uh, so I'm going to play that just to have a bit of contrast about what, like, yeah, not being a good ally, like sort of not necessarily hating on a group but just being being a poor ally what that looks like okay over to you ladies it's nice you can do what you want if you have the money you can be what you want certainly look at me <laughs> in um 84 i've had a nose reconstructed job i've had my cheekbones risen i've had a chin implant Tell and them. breast implants. Yes, tell them like it is. The most important factor in my life that has been completed recently is that I've had a transsexualism operation. That means I've had a sex change. I'm no longer a man. I am a woman. I feel great. <laughs> I'm very happy. And I feel like the part of my life that was a secret is now closed. For I can now. close the closet door. There are no more skeletons in there. And I'm as free as the wind that's blowing out on this beach. <laughs> Except that voice is still there. <laughs> as free as this beach. I've been a man, and I've been a man who emulated a woman. I've never been a woman. I've never 
had that service once a month. I've never been pregnant. You know, I can never say how a woman feels. I can only say how a man who acts like a woman or dresses like a woman feels. I never wanted to have a sex change. That's just taking it a little too far, you know, because if you decide later on in life to change your mind, you can't. Once it's gone, it's gone. A lot of kids that I know, they got the sex change because they felt, oh, I've been treated so bad as a drag queen. If I get a pussy, excuse the expression, I'll be treated fabulous. But women get treated bad. You know, they get beat, they get robbed, they get dogged. So having the vagina, that doesn't mean that you're going to have a fabulous life. It might, in fact, be worse. You know, so I've never recommended it, and I myself would have never, ever got it. And I'm so thankful that I was that smart. Because right about now, this next 40 or so years that I'm going to be here, I'm going to live. And for those children that can't take the fact that I still look youthful, ha, suffer. No bags, no lines. Lovely. Glove. I don't think the world has been fair to me. Not yet, anyway. Yeah, lovely. Um, and, yeah. I always had hopes of being a big star. And then I look, as you get older, you, you aim a little lower. And I just say, well, yeah, you still might make an impression. Everybody wants to leave something behind them, some impression, some mark upon the world. And then you think you left a mark on the world if you just get through it. And a few people remember your name. Then you left a mark. You don't have to bend the whole world. I think it's better to just enjoy it. Pay your dues. And enjoy it. If you shoot an arrow and it goes real high, hooray for you. Freedom's not a nasty word, there's something in my dreams. And this again is the coherence theory. We try to make the universe coherent to us, usually by importing external narratives. And that's where we go wrong. The most extreme and I think poisonous and sort of contemporary example that I can think of this is the whole transgender movement. And I'm totally in favor of when people do whatever they want, knock yourselves out. I'm great with it. But what I see is happening, what I think causes immense pain and unnecessary suffering, is somebody who's born biologically male or female receives a narrative from their society that says, this is the way you should feel because you're a male or because you're a female. And they don't feel that way. And they think, the way I feel is wrong. I need to change my physical body. This is exactly the wrong way around. No, your cultural narrative is wrong. You're not wrong. You're right. You're incredibly right. You can't not be right if you're in your biological self. How you feel is how you are, and you are right. And so that incredible poison 
that society tries to foist off on people and say, if you're a man and you want to wear lipstick, oh, you must be a woman. No, the history of men wearing lipstick goes all the way back. Alcibiades, one of my favorite people from history, he was the man. He was great. He was incredible. I love Alcibiades. He was super fabulous. He was absolutely off the charts fabulous. Uh, also slightly nuts and dangerous. But love this guy. Right? You know, th was he a woman? Was he a man? Was, no, he was Alcibiades. He never asked that question. He's like, no, I, I don't care. I'm trying to seduce Socrates. He keeps turning me down. I sleep with everybody else. Beautiful wives, beautiful mistresses. I try to conquer Greece. They kick me out. So I try to conquer someplace else. They kick me out. I'm back at Greece. I'm fighting the Persians. Now I'm with the Persians fighting the Greeks. Now I'm, you know, he was, he was just, woo, I'm Alcibiades. He didn't think, oh, I'm in the wrong body. No, he was right because he was him or her or it or whatever it was. He was Alcibiades. And so when we internally, but this is painful, by the way. That's why I, I bring this up, because I think it is a source of real human suffering, is that tension that people feel between being told they are wrong in the world. They need to internalize the societal narrative to the extent that they need to alter their physical bodies. And, and that's just a, the extreme version. So that clip was from his series Transvaluation of All Values and it's a six-part series. The first two are on uh, on podcast apps. I found the first one through my Apple podcast and then the, he's just released the second one and uh, the whole thing is already up on YouTube. He has a lot more stuff on his YouTube channel. It, uh, the podcast is called The Humane Arts and I'm sorry I can't remember which episode out of the six this one came from but uh, yeah it, it was in a broader context around looking at shifting cultural values and norms so he's not deliberately going about to weigh in about trans issues but on his way to making other points, he does. And so this is an example of where someone from outside a movement can make broad speculations that can both seem self-evident, depending on who you are, and be objectively offensive and wrong just because of the way you say it like he's very um very direct this is my opinion I'm right um and and I might have ah, some feelings of resonance with the things that he says but at the same time he's not boosting the signal of someone from within the culture who's actually talking about this stuff he's just presenting his own opinion and that's where I think the douchebaggery lies. And it's not just this group that he's like this with. I've realized he's also like this with the, um, like there was facts that he had wrong in the two episodes around the, um, you know, can, uh, can West Africa uh, save us? And it's a two-parter about how, African-American culture has affected 
American culture overall and how there are certain values that come from a particular area in Africa um, that are values that we would do well to follow today. The, that basic premise, like in, like in terms of the overarching ideas, I like what he's saying, but I found out afterwards when my boyfriend, uh, Derek, a.k.a. Damien Black, listened to it, he was like, oh, this fact was wrong, this fact was wrong, like he was wrong about music stuff, he was wrong about, um, he said that, um, pretty much all the slaves came over in 1600 and then it was the their descendants that did the cotton picking uh, and uh, maybe that part of it was true but uh, Derek knows that you know there was um, still uh, slave ships coming over now trying to remember oh was he saying because I remember there was someone someone that actually interviewed the uh, man from one of the last slave ships and that was so you know oh my goodness my dates will someone please go in and have a look <laughs> just google when the last slave ships uh came to north america because yeah but it was it was quite late on i want to say 1850 but i think it, it might even be later than that so anyway where cecil got that really wrong uh yeah yeah and I had a one-to-one conversation with him where I wanted some information about a claim that he made in the first episode that in uh what was it <laughs> I think it was eight uh 1830 90% of the world's population were regularly starving and I was like wow that's where where did he get that figure from how did he arrive at that and I asked him for the data and he sent me a heap of graphs uh, and I haven't gone and had a look at the sources yet to try to evaluate them. Derek had a look at them and he I don't think he has either, but it's just, yeah, it, it seems like he, he really uh, stretches the truth and cuts corners. But on a positive note, he does get a lot of good information across. He's quite charismatic and so you can learn stuff and he makes it easier to learn it. It's just, yeah, he cuts corners and doesn't, and he's got some biases that are questionable. So that's it for this episode of The Ethical Slut. Thank you for listening and I hope you have enjoyed the the answer answers that I've come up with it's it's a little different from what Mark asked but it's my podcast and I can be tangential if I want to <laughs> love you guys and hugs to you too Mark